This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, July 22nd, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. With me on the phone to start this edition of Ozarks at Large from his office in Fort Smith is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, it always brightens my day to talk with you. Well, you're one of the few that uh, ever tell me that, so I appreciate it. And it really does. And we're going to cover uh, some things that happened in the news this week. Let's start with um, the death of, of Cameron Smith, someone I met a couple of times. But if you're known by the company you keep and what they say about you, so many people I highly respect feel a great loss with his death. What, what can you tell me about Cameron Smith? Well, it, it is a great loss. He fortunately died this week. Um complications due to his ongoing battle with throat cancer, which he had beat and then come back and he beat. It was just, um, he was tough with it. He was 71. Um, but he started, uh, more than 30 years ago, Cameron Smith and associates just literally with the notepad and, um, a couple of pens helping these re- the retail community, um, find executives for, you know, we see Northwest Arkansas now and we see all of these vendors up there and we just think that's kind of, kind of all, you know, it's like the Rocky Mountains. They've always been there. Well, no, the vendor community has not always been there. And Cameron Smith, I think, has to be credited with helping that community grow um, so much and, and so fast. He helped find them talent. He helped um, not only find talent, but help uh, executives understand what it needs to be successful in that area. Um, and that's just his direct impact. He had, for example, just in, in my little world back in, um, the early part of 2000, when we, or excuse me, 2010, when we launched this, what was then the city wire in Northwest Arkansas, he was a big mentor. He helped open doors. He gave me a lot of time that he didn't have, I'm sure because he was, he had, he was doing so much, you know, Cameron's one of those folks, you know, people who know how to get things done, everybody wants to come to them to help them get things done, you know? And so he was one of those kind of people and he never asked for anything uh, in return from me or our company, but he was always there. would always, if he didn't answer the phone call right away, he'd call you back pretty quickly always had good advice and like I said, open doors, um, just a true class act. And the take, the takeaway is that he never forgot his roots. He never got too big for his britches. Even when he was highly su- successful, he was still just that same old Cameron Smith that had to bootstrap it those 30, 40 years ago. So that's, I think that's what I liked about him the most. The, uh, Fort Smith, Police Department's Bicycle Patrol Unit is back, back on two tires uh, after a few yeah. years' absence. Yeah, they picked a very cool time yeah, of right. uh, the year to do it. Um, no, it, it's, uh, I, I tell you what, in the early, in the 90s, in another life, a thousand years ago, I worked at Fort Smith Chamber of Commerce, and there was a bike patrol unit downtown Fort Smith, and they, I saw what they did. I saw the impact on the area. Um, very positive. If I, I'm glad I had that experience because if I didn't, I'm not sure I would understand fully the impact, the broad impact I can have, not just on safety, but on community, community development, uh, community cohesion. If you want to go that far, which I think I do. 
Um, so they're bringing this bike patrol unit back. Um, and you know, they're going to start out with just a few officers. I think they had at one time they had 10 officers assigned to the unit. Um, they're not going to have that many, but part of the struggle to get the bike patrol unit back is they've just been struggling to find enough officers just to man the patrol divisions they needed, just the basics. So they've been more successful, uh, in the past year or two doing that. Uh, there's been a culture change, thankfully with, uh, chief Danny Baker. Um, he's really, um, brought in a new mentality. That's more about the community rather than just hardcore policing. Um, uh, and so, um, and it, so that's been helpful and that's led to this. So, um, you've had captain Daniel Grubbs now is leading this effort. Uh, they were able to get some of the old bikes out of storage too. And some of those bikes can cost about $2,000 right. each. Um, they were able to just spend a few hundred dollars, kind of get them back in shape. Um, so that's good to see. So, um, they're out there now. I think they begin July 25th uh, or no, they'll begin July 25th. I'm sorry. Um, so, um, uh, that's this Monday. So they'll be out there and they won't just be in downtown Fort Smith. They could be out at Chaffee crossing both grubs and chief Baker said, they're going to kind of we'll just watch the community, watch the community needs. Where do we be? Where do we need to be? I should say, um, and, and just be out there and make those connections that you can one-on-one, uh, you know, with a bike officer. When somebody's on a, on a bicycle, even if they've got all their gear on, they're still far more approachable than they are Agreed. a patrol unit, you know, in a big SUV or whatever. And I, I'm telling you, I just saw firsthand in the 90s the, just what they were able to do. And they would attend events when, when they were primarily focused in downtown you know, I want to stress this is not just a downtown focus. It's going to be community-wide. But when they were focused downtown there in the 90s, they would attend events, um, build relationships with the community. So when things would pop up, instead of people, you know, not knowing what to do, they would say, hey, wait a minute, maybe I should get a hold of, you know, Mr. Randolph, uh, Tim Randolph at the time, who's since retired, was probably one of the more prominent high-profile by cops. But and so it just it, get, it creates a good network. It creates a good um, uh, system and, and builds relationships. So if there are problems, solutions can be found often quicker and without uh, as much disruption. So I, I, I'm very glad to hear uh, them bring this this unit back. Well, so that's coming back from something that started in the 1990s. If we were with LL Cool J, he would say, don't call the next thing a comeback. COVID-19 <laughs> numbers are coming back up. Uh, the truth is, COVID-19 didn't go away. It, it, the numbers reduced, but we're seeing an increase now, and that's having an effect on area hospitals. Yeah, and we're seeing, and I, we've stressed our style now at Talk Business Politics is we say known active mm-hmm. cases because, um, you know, with all the home health testing, for example, I had a member of my family test positive recently. Well, they never reported. So that's not a known active case in Arkansas. But the known active cases are higher in the Fort Smith metro area. Um, and so much so that the Baptist Health Fort Smith reopened its COVID wing. Um, now, I want to stress it's not near like it was. You know, I think we have a little over 800 cases in Sebastian County. That is... <laughs> 
drastically lower than you know over 2600 we right. had back in january when it was when this uh, the omicron was really at its peak so it's I, i'm not trying to cause alarm here but it's just coming back and you know some of these the, the these new variants are much more transmiss- transmissible thankfully we know they're not um uh more um vir- vir- virulent is that the word more, virulent virulent uh, Virulent. There you go. Thank you. Um, so they're not as n- nasty. Um, and thankfully, as, as more people are getting vaccinated, more people are getting boosted, uh, the impacts, it's it's not sending people to the hospital or not getting the serious consequences, but it's back. And, you know, you see some parts of the country instituting indoor mask uh, requirements or suggestions or even mandates. So, uh, we're watching it. Um, I know um, our reporting team over in Northeast Arkansas is also reporting some similar um, spikes in the Craighead and Greene County over in East Arkansas in the Jonesboro area. So um, everybody just needs to be on their toes and be as careful as possible because I think we all know whether we've been told it or just know it in- instinctively, COVID's not just going to go away. It's probably going to be something we're going to live with for maybe forever. Yeah. Finally, there was a story on talkbusiness.net about I-49 in the Western Corridor of Arkansas. I don't <laughs> think there are many people who are against the completion of I-49. It seems the conversations keep happening. When will we see the completion of I-49? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that is, that's a good question. So this little almost 14-mile stretch that's going to connect the interchange at Alma, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with, it's there at I-40, and it's what you swing on up to go to Fayetteville or swing back down to head to Fort Smith or over to Little Rock. From there, cross the river and then connect just north of Barling, where there's already a segment. So um, that will that's going to end maybe finish up by the end of the decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a 700 and something million dollar project. There's a group that met recently in Fort Smith, and um, look, I'm excited for this. I am ecstatic that we're finally getting the bridge going. We're finally getting that segment completed. But um, this is <laughs> – I would encourage regional leaders here in the Fort Smith area not to lean too much into the whole connection with respect to hopes for economic growth. It's just, This is not – this 14-mile stretch is not going to be a game-changer um, I think sometimes we get a little too excited about it. Um, this thing could be a generation. I mean, like 40 plus years from completion through Arkansas. Look, we've got another 130 something miles between, wow. you know, um, probably Greenwood, uh, you know, Barlin Greenwood, South Fort Smith, I guess I should say on down to Texarkana, uh, to complete. And that money that that's, we're talking billions of dollars and, there ain't been a putty, a penny put in that pot yet. So, um, so that I forty nine is not going to reach its full potential until it fully connects New Orleans to Kansas City. So, um, again, I'm excited for this stretch, but let's let's not all think that um, it's going to be you know rainbows and unicorns once the, once that stretch is completed. Uh, someone who I will not name who has been. Not cynical, but um, perhaps a realist about the entirety of I-49, that connection you mentioned, Kansas City, New Orleans, once told me that I-49 is the corridor of the future, and it always will be. (laughs) 
well, I hope that person's wrong, but um, that's a that's a very um, that's a very clever comment. You do it one mile at a time, right? Um, I guess so. Yeah. All right. Well, Michael Tilly joins us one week at a time, and we will talk to you next Friday. You can read about all of these items at TalkBusiness.net. Michael, thank you. You're welcome, sir. Always enjoy it. In the background is the jazz bossa nova group, Sons of Brazil. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from these guys, as well as music from John Coltrane, Dave Brubeck, Chet Baker, Sonny Stitt, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF 91.3 FM. Shades of Jazz, tonight from 10 until midnight on KUAF 91.3. Tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. KUAF 3 is on your HD radio, available through your smart speaker and streaming at KUAF.com and on the KUAF app. Fire bans are now in place across much of Arkansas with the risk of wildfires dangerously elevated due to extreme heat and lack of rain. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Summer cicadas drone in a withered Washington County forest, complaining, it seems, about this relentless extreme heat wave on the Arkansas Ozarks, in place for nearly seven weeks now. Add to that a significant lack of rain with increasing breezy conditions, Arkansas forest managers are on high alert. In those dry conditions, it just takes a very small spark for a for something to start. And that's really, with something like that happens, that's when we're going to get the large fires. Vic Ford is Associate Vice President of Agriculture and Natural Resources for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service, headquartered in Little Rock. He's also a forester with the U.S. Forest Service. And in northern Arkansas, where we're under this this flash uh, uh, drought, which is a term used for having very cool, wet conditions in almost overnight going to hot and dry uh, conditions have issued um, uh, high fire danger. Ford says all 75 Arkansas County judges are charged with declaring any fire emergencies as well as burn bans. A map posted by the Arkansas Forestry Commission shows much of the state under burn bans. It's not a good idea to burn trash. It's not a good idea to burn brush. It's not a good idea to do anything out there that's going to cause a conflagration. Wildfire preparation and management for all Arkansas state parks, including the popular Devil's Den State Park, is the responsibility of the U.S. Forest Service. Arkansas State Forester Joe Fox is director of the Forestry Division under the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. This drought for Arkansas is very similar to the weather and the drought we had in in 2012 and that particular drought happened earlier in the year but we had a big flush of rain uh, earlier in the spring and in March and early April and somewhere in April it quit raining. With dangerous dry conditions accelerating, Fox says state forestry agents have started to respond to more wildfires around the state, including one in Benton County. I think the biggest day we've had numbers of fires is been 17 and that was like yesterday. The report at 3.30 today was only 10 fires. As of Wednesday when we spoke, all were small fires. Yesterday, Oklahoma counted over a dozen wildfires. Some blazes 
covering hundreds of acres, producing atmospheric smoke over much of the state, reaching into Arkansas. The National Weather Service in Tulsa is forecasting triple-digit temperatures through Wednesday with relatively low humidity and gusty winds expected over the weekend into next week. Parts of far northeast Oklahoma and far northwest Arkansas in particular could see dangerous fire behavior. Meteorologists warn, but Joe Fox worries fire risk conditions could extend into autumn. So probably the next three months from right now, the predictions are bad. So we're ready. We've got 13 planes to detect fires. Uh, we've got two single-engine air tankers on contract that arrived today and are on duty today. Uh, and they can help us on a fire. Uh, we've got about 200 firefighters scattered in 60 locations, uh, work centers around the state. We can cover all 75 counties. Uh, your county's up there. We've got a work center in every one of them. Uh, and we've got trained people who are who are ready to go. A 24 hours, seven days a week dispatch center in Malvern statewide. So fires can be called in there. Uh, we work with the local fire departments, the rural fire departments especially. Uh, they help us hugely and we help them as well with equipment needs and training. We, we do a lot of things to, to help the local fire departments. And, and I think this is a very conservative number, but they probably, for every fire we go to, they go to five. The U.S. Drought Monitor map shows large splotches of blood red, bright red, amber, and yellow covering two-thirds of the U.S. this summer, indicating exceptional, extreme, and severe drought, which includes northwest Arkansas. More than 10 million Americans in 28 states are under a heat advisory, as well as excessive heat warnings, with temperatures reaching as high as 115 degrees Fahrenheit in Texas and Oklahoma this week. Scientists are attributing an increase of record-breaking heat waves to climate change. Again, State Forester Joe Fox. We're prepared. We're expecting some long hours. Uh, so far, we have not had that big fire. Uh, but the, the fuels are out there. The weather and the, the drought is out there. We have a lot of dry fuels on the ground. Arkansans are flocking to rivers and lakes to cool off, including the Buffalo National River in Newton County, where National Park Service Public Information Officer Casey Brandstetter says due to lack of rain over the past seven weeks. The water's low, our water levels are low, and that can lead to experiences of dragging your canoe or kayak. So having shorter days, going on shorter trips, um, bringing lots of water with you, lots of sunscreen and some protection are really key points we want to make sure that all of our visitors are prepared for if thinking about doing a recreational trip out to the Buffalo. The Arkansas Forestry Commission map shows high wildfire danger in the western half of the state, including Newton County, where the Buffalo River National Park Unit houses a wildfire response team. They do work for national park units across the state of Arkansas, and they're really beefing up their staffing right now, um, extending staffing as they monitor for wildfires out within the park and with other public land units in the state. And they're also preparing for stage one fire restrictions. Um, 
all of the fuels that we have on the ground, those dead and down limbs, trees, leaf litter, they're getting so dry with the dry weather and lack of rain that they become excellent fuel and potential for the start of a wildfire. With half the country grappling with extreme heat conditions, President Joe Biden issued an extreme heat plan to distribute $2.3 billion to cities and states announced this week, saying a climate crisis is now a clear and present danger. The federal money will pay for construction of cooling centers and air conditioning systems and for planned offshore wind energy facilities along the Gulf Coast. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. To report a wildfire, call 1-800-468-8834. Or, of course, you can dial 911 or your local fire department. The Momentary in Bentonville presents the Live on the Green concert series, featuring acclaimed artists including Japanese Breakfast, The War on Drugs, Lao Lovett, and more. Held on the Momentary Green, these outdoor concerts bring together musical acts of past decades and today. Line up, tickets, and more at themomentary.org. We've made it to Friday, and because we've made it to Friday, we've made it to Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. She's joining us on the phone from her Bella Vista office. Becca, how are you? Warm. That's the thing right now. Does your air conditioning work? Then, therefore, art thou happy? <laughs> oh, good. Sure. So, there's a show that opens this weekend that I have not seen yet. But I know the people involved in it, and I think it's going to be pretty epic. Is this a musical? This is a musical. It's called The Hunchback of Notre Dame. A little bit of Disney, a little bit of Victor Hugo's 1831 novel. Presented by Arts One Presents, which is the legacy of the Art Center of the Ozarks. Directed by Julie Gable. And starring... One of my favorite people, Aaron Young, who was Davy in the performance of Newsies at Arkansas Public Theater that we had to sing for two years because we didn't get another musical. You know, at my house, we sing the last musical. Well, that was a long musical. (laughs) Set the record. Yeah. He was amazing in that. I know he's going to be amazing in this. And Julie Gable directing, yeah. They're doing it at the Pat Ellison Performing Arts Center on the Don Tyson School of Innovation campus in Springdale. So they have a brand new theater they're working in. And rumor has it they have like 70 people in the chorus. Oh my, that's a big chorus. It's 7 o'clock today and tomorrow, 3 o'clock on Sunday, again July 28th through 31st. Again, it's the Pat Ellison Performing Arts Center at the Don Tyson School of Innovation in Springdale, which is on Hilton Road on the east side of town, I believe. Tickets start at $20 at artsonepresents.org. Now, if you're waiting for something a little sillier, Arkansas Public Theater opens a musical called Disaster next weekend. It's set on a floating casino, and outrageous disasters based on the campy 
disaster movies of the 70s. And that opens next Friday at APT. Now, this weekend, there is an art show called Art on the Border in Fort Smith. And it benefits charitable organizations in Fort Smith. Among them, Arts at Boast, the Good Samaritan Clinic, the Gregory Kistler Treatment Center, and the Donald W. Reynolds Cancer Support House. It's 1,000 Fianna Way. This was apparently previously called Golden Living. Oh, okay. I know exactly where that is. Yes. Okay. Tonight it's invitation only. And you can get an invitation by emailing artontheborder at gmail.com. $20 admission. But tomorrow is free. And if you want to go look at some amazing art, I am in love with Shabana Kowser's artwork. Oh, my goodness, yes. And she's still got work at the RAM, right? She does, at the Fort Smith Regional Art Museum. She is from South Asia, grew up in the 90s in London, and rejected what her parents wanted her to do, which was marry someone of her parents' choice Mm. and become a housewife. She said, nip, and at 21, went off to start her own life, ended up with a bachelor's degree in information technology and a master's in information management, then moved to Northwest Arkansas with her husband Hmm. and ended up working on her art, and it is just so pretty funny that it comes back around to her show is called Dupata Journeys of Life and Cultural Identity and it comes back around to the scarves that they wear in her culture that her mother was a seamstress and made those traditional outfits so full circle but gorgeous paintings absolutely gorgeous and her work is on show until September 11th at FS Ram. And they're open 11 to 6 today and tomorrow and 1 to 5 on Sunday, and it's free. Free. We like that word. I do. And then on Sunday, got to say it again, Mountain Street Stage at the Fayetteville Public Library, the Western Swing Rules Band. They're pretty fun. I've seen them before. That's all I got. That's plenty, Becca. That's plenty. (laughs) Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Demographic shifts were supposed to give Democrats an advantage, but Democratic strategist Rui Teixeira says that issues, not identity, draw some non-white voters across the aisle. Look, I mean, voters of color don't talk about voters of color. Who the hell lives in communities of color? The people I know live in neighborhoods. And a grammarian who asks, what do the rules of English really matter? Saturday and Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend edition tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on KUAF 91.3. You can also hear the show in every single second of KUAF by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. This is Ozarks at Large. Happy Friday. In the fall of 2018, we were introduced to Austin-based artist Paige Renee Berry. She stopped by our Furman Garner Performance Studio prior to playing a show in Fayetteville. Earlier this year, she again stopped by our Furman Garner Performance Studio in advance of a show in Fayetteville. Here are a couple of songs she performed for Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis. The song is called Ebbs and Flows, and I wrote it at Guadalupe River State Park, I believe it was last year, um, 
Over pandemic, I went through a very difficult breakup that I am still <laughs> often reckoning with. And um, in that moment alone at Guadalupe River State Park, um, I just sort of realized how far that I had come. Uh, I was doing something that I had never done before, which was camping alone, uh, which is like scary as a like femme presenting person. And also I had never set up my hall or set up my pop-up camper before. And it's an undertaking. It's a lot. Um, so I was just sort of thinking about, <laughs> I talk about this at the shows a lot too, like the non-linear nature of healing um, and just how it like, it ebbs and it flows, you know, like one day I'm, you know, late to record because my therapy went over talking about the person who's this song is about. <laughs> uh, and then other days I'm, you know, I, I don't think about it some days, which is a win, you know. Anyway, um, that's what this song is about. Thank you. Thank you. 
call never felt this way, and it's definitely not about my cat. <laughs> Thank you. Many came before I found you Though I searched both high and low Soft and sweet and gentle as they Austin-based musician Paige Renee Berry performing earlier this year inside the Furman Garner Performance Studio here at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Find out more about her music on Facebook, Instagram, and Bandcamp by searching for Half Dream Music. When Paige was in Fayetteville, she was on tour with a few other musicians, Creek Bed Carter and McCain Lakey. They also performed inside our Furman Garner Performance Studio at KUAF. We're going to hear those performances pretty soon on upcoming editions of Ozarks at Large. 
I'm Matthew Moore, the producer for Undisciplined. We're currently working on season three, so now's a great time to catch up on our back catalog. And don't just take my word for it. Just ask an upcoming guest on the show. Originally, I thought, okay, this is going to be so Arkansas-centric that I'm going to listen to a few of these to get the flavor. But I never got tired of it. Listen to Undisciplined on KUAF.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kelms. With me by Zoom is Courtney Lanning. Courtney, welcome back. Kyle, thanks for having me. All right, confession time. One of my <clears throat> favorite film genres is the, raw, the the teenage romantic comedy. And I think that be, is because I came of age um, in high school and college when John Hughes was making Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and things like that. That said, can anything be new in a teenage rom-com like anything's possible? Well, uh, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> um, you and I have talked about a myriad of rom-coms on this program. So let's get what makes this particular film out of the way right now. This is a high school rom-com or a coming-of-age story about a girl who falls in love with a guy. What makes this a bit more unique is that the girl happens to be transgender and the guy happens to be Muslim. And they're honestly just the cutest couple. Okay. Do we have, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but do we have the the high school rom-com tropes? I mean, the things that I expect in a high school rom-com? You absolutely do. Um, You know, you you check all the boxes here for these high school rom-coms. You get the tried and true hits of the awkward yet cute first date. And then there's the high school party with all the red solo cups. And then there's the miscommunication and the climax that leads to the usual breakup. So, I mean, this movie checks all the standard rom-com boxes. You're, you're not going to be disappointed if you're looking for each one of those check marks to be there. All right. So we have those boxes to check, but as you mentioned, our leads are not the Lily White, leads that we would find in a John Hughes comedy of the 80s or 90s. Does the movie do, do the representation well? You know, the, the representation is definitely one of the more power as, powerful aspects of anything's possible because it doesn't shy away from trans issues. You know, the, this movie deals with some of the finer details and challenges of transitioning. Everything from, you know, uh, taking hormones mm-hmm. to the social challenges that come along with that. But with that said... That's not the movie's full identity. It just touches on those details in a respectful and knowledgeable way while not making that the sole thing going on in this movie. I mean, when you look at our two main characters, you got uh, our lead's name is Kelsa, and she's this lively burst of energy looking forward to a future in zoology, uh, just really likable lead. And, and she falls in love with this total goofus of a guy whose name is Hobbit. And, I mean, there's just, there's really nothing that they do wrong together. When they're on screen together, they're holding hands or they're kissing. I mean, it's, they're great. So is, any criticisms? So, yeah, the, the one downside to anything's possible is that once in a while, the writing becomes unbelievable. Almost like how adults think high schoolers behave instead of how they actually behave. Um, you know, the one primary example in my mind is uh, Khaled's best friend is written as a bit more conservative and he has a lot of issues with uh, Khaled's girlfriend. And 
at one point his friend remarks, I just joined parlor. And I thought, ain't no high schoolers on parlor. Come on. That's just not a believable thing to me. And you know, the movie has a couple of moments like that, that they really take you out and make you go, all right, come on. How do we watch anything's possible? It is going to be on Amazon prime uh, today. All right. Uh, what's hitting theaters this weekend? So the, the big movie coming out this weekend is just called Nope. This is a new horror film from someone who has really made a name for himself yeah. quite quickly, at least in the world of cinema, and is Jordan Peele. You know, all of his, his recent movies have been well-received critically, and they've been successful at the box office, and he's established himself as a real horror icon, which, as you and I know, we won't be seeing because we don't like scary movies. Yeah, and his are scary I mean, they stay they're with you. Scary. Terrifying. You know, they're not. They're not. Oh, the the guy with the axe that you worry about for two hours in the cinema. I mean, it's psychological and it stays with you. So I'm with you. I will. I will wait to hear how my friends liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be great. And what do you think we'll talk about next week? Next week, on a lighter note, uh, I'll have a review for y'all on DC League of Super Pets, which of course is about. Superman's dog, Crypto, putting together a team of animals to go rescue the Justice League. And you know what? I've run into people who didn't know Crypto existed, that there, that Superman had a, a dog and his dog's name was Crypto. I thought everybody knew that. Well, you know, it's that's the funny thing about comics, right? There's the really, really far out there mythos that a lot of people just aren't familiar with. How many people do you think know about Batmite, for example? I mean, it's... Fewer than know about Crypto. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right and this is an animated film yes and it'll be in theaters so i'll i'll be sure to review that for you next week oh i i mean just to hear i hope it's good it's going to be a comedy right oh yeah definitely okay. all right uh aimed at all ages yes all right i'll quit asking you things about a movie you haven't seen right now i will tell you <laughs> that the full review of anything's possible is in today's democrat gazette courtney as always thank you for your time Kyle, thanks for having me. KUAF is supported by Arcegas, a family-owned and operated coffee roastery with five cafes in downtown and South Fayetteville, including the Mill District on South School, offering seasonal menus, cocktails, state-of-the-art coffee bar, and more. The Arkansas New Play Festival concludes Sunday at Theater Squared. The final weekend includes five works in progress, staged from 1230 tomorrow through Sunday afternoon. One of those five... Ashes of a Great Fire will be at T2 Sunday afternoon at 1. This week, playwright Tony Manassas and director Michelle Vazquez came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Michelle says their current collaboration is a continuation of sort from another new play festival, The Wild Wind, in Lubbock, Texas. He had a great play uh, about Rita Hayworth <laughs> that we worked on and uh, had such a great experience, not only with him and with the play, but... Um, I'm so glad he, uh, we're back together again. <laughs> to build on that, so uh, the reason why Michelle came to mind, especially for this opportunity that came up, because I felt I owed Michelle because I had to uh, go home very early in that process. So I was just Skyping in uh, to the rehearsals. And I didn't feel like I was there. We didn't get to do that thing that we do where you're like hanging out with the director, mm -hmm. like getting a drink after and talking about things. So we would see each other on Skype and like I think we chatted about dramaturgical things before rehearsals, but we didn't get the opportunity to like 
chill together. So I was yeah. like, I owe some chill uh, time with Michelle. <laughs> We've been doing that here, so which has been really great uh, with this process now. What can the chill do? What can the chill do for the creative process? I was being to that. Yeah. It's just a relaxed way of talking about the play for me. You know that we're just uh, a we're just getting to know each other and building our relationship, but. It just there's there's sometimes especially when there's other bodies in the room and they're offering you their insights. I think the director playwright relationship is a little more sacred because you get to really work very intimately together. So for me, it's just building that relationship and then just sort of just casually talking about our lives and also sneaking in some dramaturgy <laughs> like I'm thinking about this or this is what's going on here with my brain. Uh, so that's been really fun for me. It's just sort of like allowing that that relationship to develop in that in those spaces too, in addition to the rehearsal room. I think all that's so important to the process. You know, I think uh, we are the stories we tell ourselves. That's something we like to say in theater, right? So um, part of the work that we do is really being in conversation and in connection with other human beings, right? Developing relationships. And and uh, so these conversations, either these, these side talks, all of these things are, I think, build on the entire process of what it means to work collectively and collaboratively on a project. We should point out this work is not about Rita Hayworth. This is not about Rita Hayworth, no. We're, we're How do you right. describe this play, Tony? Uh, my, I think the easiest way that I've described it, it's, uh, if you know the movie The Craft from the 90s about these four teenage witches, uh, it's that meets Bible study. So exploring magic, but through a faith lens versus like witchcraft lens. Uh, and for me, just personally, I, I grew up with a lot of Latina women who are very strong in their faith. and sort of the power they find in that I find I liken to that movie you know the power they find through witchcraft and magic is the power that I think the Latina women in my life have found through faith and they're just so convinced that their faith is real and they see miracles everywhere the thing the things they pray for they see evidence of constantly so I was like that to me feels it's it's a story I haven't seen told you know that kind of magic theological magic uh whether we are believers or not for those that do believe, I think it is, you know, it's, it's something transcendent. And I was interesting, interested in that transcendent space of faith meets magic. It's a new play, so I don't feel embarrassed to say I haven't seen it. I have read the synopsis, and I know that, and we don't want to give too much away, but there's prayer, and there are prayers that come true. And that's sort of what gets us to the meat of the play? Yes. Plot-wise, I think that's yeah. yeah the, what what starts to become like are these coincidences or these signs? Uh, it slowly starts to unfold that these uh, this this group starts to believe uh, that more is going on. Uh, that either it's God granting them these prayers or it's perhaps they themselves that's doing all of this. So yeah, it, it plays a little bit of that like you know uh, everything they're asking for is coming true. So what happens when that starts to when they start to contend with the reality of that? Michelle, when do you start to direct? When you first read the script? Do, do you start thinking about it then, or do you wait till you see who's going to be reading? Oh, I think it starts almost immediately. Like, the director brain turns on, and you start to see things. Well, it's, it's a visual medium, right? It's, it's, uh, it's all of that. Uh, thinking about transitions, thinking about what the world of the play looks like, literally what it looks like on stage. Um, when... I got the email about potentially doing this project. I think there were barely 30 pages <laughs> written. And then uh, Tony sent me that little blurb, oh, it's the craft meets Bible study. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> so I was just so fascinated by that concept. And um, he, he writes rich characters, and he he really um, supports his his. Uh, 
the the sacred feminine in his in his place so far for me really um, come out as a woman when I'm reading uh, I I want rich characters and I want um, that experience uh, told truthfully and faithfully and um, he really attends to that. So, uh, you know, we got, I got that those first 30 pages, and I'm like, oh, where is this going? And then I think uh, the first week we were here, uh, by Wednesday of that week, so three days in, we had um, the full script. So we arrived, I think, with 50 pages, and then by uh, two days later, we had a full script on paper. And that's an amazing testament to, you know, his ability to, to just put nose to the grindstone and, and get it done. Um, so yeah, for, for me, it's it's also hearing, uh, you know, these characters in, in the voices of the, the actors that we've brought together. Um, but yeah, mostly this early stage when you're working on, a you know, work in so such a new stage of development, it's about it's about conversation. It's about talking. It's about, um, I think the first day we just really sat around the table and talked about our own personal, individual, spiritual journeys, our own uh, experiences with our own faith. Not only the faith we were born into, um, but also the one we've sort of cobbled together for ourselves as we've, as we've grown and matured. So, and the, and how that's evolved and changed over the years. So that was incredibly illuminating and uh, personal, right? We're sharing very personal stories. So I think, you know, when it's so freeing to be in this process because there's no, we're not at the end of these two weeks, we're not saying this play is done. <laughs> you know, it, it, Tony's experience will continue beyond, you know, uh, whatever our fingerprints on it are. And uh, I find that incredibly empowering, you know, that, that it's a work in process. I'm glad you brought that up because I was my next question was going to be, isn't there a freedom at this point of the process? And I'm imagining not every playwright at this point in the process has this sort of three dimensional way to explore with people reading mm. and a director on hand. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's the fun part about development is that you get to workshop and get to try to figure out some things. For me, it was just even finishing a play. That was the the spell that was cast this go around. But yeah, as, you know, I, I thought I'd, by the end of just writing the first draft, I'd be just brain dead and I wouldn't have any more energy to do anything more. But it was really illuminating how inspiring the, the conversations were in the room that motivated a lot of rewrites. So I, I still kept on trucking and rewrote a lot of different little things and moments that just expanded on conversations that were happening uh, and that are still happening. So, you know, it is sort of a, it is a playground. You know, you get to, you get to tinker and you get to, you know, work with different things. And, you know, for, for me as a player, candidly, you know, when these conversations, no one ever tells you what to do, which is great because no one, I think, really enjoys that. But, you know, something in a conversation will just set off a light bulb, like a sudden aha moment. And I love those moments because no one's trying to solve your play. No one's trying to answer your questions. But something, you know, your, your neural patterns just connect and click, and you're like, that's something. I could use that. Um, so that's what's the fun part for me, just in my seat, is like, it just, it leads you, these little breadcrumbs lead you to places that you'd never expected that would not have happened were I just alone in my room typing it up, you know? Uh, certainly a lot of days happen that way. I have an outline that, uh, I did have an outline that I was working from, but it's, yeah, this collaborative, conversational nature of working with other people. It's, I think, why I love this particular kind of writing is that it's, it's definitely you're not doing it alone. That's the whole point of playwriting is that you never do it alone. So I appreciate that for that reason. I just, I want to plug all the, the playwrights. Every, every playwright in new play development, it's an incredibly brave act to show up 
and say, here, <laughs> here's my baby. I mean, the act of creating art is always brave, but it's always braver when you share it with the world. You have no idea what will become of it or what other people will do with it, uh, even when it's finished. So uh, I'm just, I stand in awe of that kind of creativity and I, I feel very honored to be in service to it. I just want to shout out just Theater Squared, just uh, this opportunity that they afforded us to be here. It's, uh, I've done development and this one just feels really special. And I think the staff here is just beyond mm -hmm. generous and kind and they're just, you know, they went on a ride with me. I didn't have a full play when they asked me about this opportunity. So they took a risk. I could have brought in a real dog and I might have, <laughs> we'll find out. But they would have been, you know, they would have been like, okay, well, I guess we're stuck with this one. Uh, so they they were up for the exercise, as was Michelle and the cast. So I, as a writer, I just appreciate that, you know, I uh, I took a creative risk to just write something brand new kind of quickly, and everyone was there supporting and rallying. So just, uh, yeah, the, the, the theater has been an amazing space to work and brought in collaborators that I've loved working with so far. Tony Manessa's new play, Ashes of a Great Fire, will be part of this weekend's final two days of the 2022 Arkansas New Play Festival, taking place at Theater Squared in downtown Fayetteville. We also heard from the new play's director, Michelle Vasquez. More about the work and the rest of the plays in progress that are part of the festival can be found at ArkansasNewPlayFest.com. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. This is 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for being with us.